listening to The 10 Podcast, the discovery and design channel in health. Tune in with your host, Matt Patterson, to learn more about insights from the world of healthcare today. Hi there, Matt Patterson here, and thank you for tuning in to today's episode, where we're going to do a reflection piece from myself. As you'll have seen, uh, maybe you're the first time to the podcast, but if you've been here before, you'll see we do a variety of different type approaches, one of them being these reflection pieces from me, from what I've learned. The other type of podcast we do is a one-to-one direct interview between myself and a guest about their speciality area. I'm very fortunate with Ten to be at the forefront of a community of people with such expertise in design and digital and physical design and animation research and work design and those from our community that come on the show have so much perspective to offer and because of that we're opening up some of these star podcasts to an insight on demand service where you can commercially buy output for your specific needs if this is of interest to you, send me directly an email at matt at weare10.co.uk and I'll explain more about the insight on-demand services we're developing. Thank you very much for listening today and over now to the main part of the show. Today's podcast is called Why Doctors Are Not Superheroes. Now, for those of you who know me, you may know that underneath this veneer of a podcast host and producer, I'm also a human factors guy. And so we're going to look at this discussion today from a human factors perspective, and more on the human factors bit later. But I'd like to start off by going back and having a bit of a view of doctors and of modern medicine. Modern medicine went through many phases. The first hospital for the poor being opened in London, Guy's Hospital in 1721 by Thomas Guy. And if we move forward to 1948 and the establishment of the NHS as we know it now from the creation of a system with which we live has been with us over a long period of time. Now, in this time over COVID-19 and the coronavirus, we've seen in such a clear way that the NHS is so deeply embedded within our psyche in the UK. It's important to us all and it's been so clear. And it got me thinking the background behind this podcast is what is life like for doctors and how do you become a doctor? What does it take and what is the background of being a doctor? What does it mean to be a doctor? Who becomes a doctor? It turns out turns out that the the 301,000 registered doctors out there, 20% of the schools in the UK create and produce the students that become 80% of the doctors. And beyond that, 7% of those in the UK who get educated in independent schools go on to represent 51% influential doctors, according to the British Medical Association, the BMA. And so there's a privilege in relation to those who become doctors. Where do they come from? Well, Well, doctors aren't made doctors. Doctors at one stage are just children, children who are good at science, primarily chemistry, biology and physics, whether that's through their talent that they have within themselves or for the schooling process that helps them go on to get great grades and go on to medical school. I think back to my experience with medics well over 20 years ago when I was training as a physiotherapist, and therefore living with medics, student doctors and shared accommodation. We did many of the same things. Our courses crossed paths very regularly. And they were just university students. 
their course was tough, of course, but like other students, they were finding their way in life as immature adults, as we all were. The reality on graduation is that you become a junior doctor. They were thrown in the deep end. Now, personally, I found acute hospital work quite difficult and challenging, but for the doctors who had gone to be junior doctors, I believe and think it was much, much harder, a very hard road to take. And we can, work, we can learn from the brilliant work of Adam Kay, uh, writing about the grueling, torturous process he went through as a junior doctor. There aren't many other professions where you have to work for 10 years to become a senior. Extreme stresses in the working hours. And if we listen to the kind of things that Adam says on NHS on the Saturday night runs, in his words, a skeleton service. And that's actually unfair to skeletons. And says so it's more like when they dig up a Neolithic man and reconstruct what he might have looked like from a piece of a clavicle and a thumb joint. 12-hour days, long nights and days. Let's just remember, like an endless tough mudder, they have put these people through, these kids who are good at biology, chemistry and physics at school, and maybe perhaps they have parents who are doctors. I mean, sure, after a few years, they could choose to specialise, go and be a GP if they want. 61,500 people choose to do this, GPs themselves, but there must be a reason why they can't fill all those vacancies. Why is this so? A few years back, I, I connected and talked with an eminent GP who was responsible for running a platform that connected GPs all across the country. And he told me not only was his platform used by GPs to rent out their Tuscan villas to one another, but to listen to their troubles. And he heard the conversations of the difficulties of the practice of a life of a GP. The life of a GP, the waves of low-level stresses and so many people with chronic diseases they can do so little about leading to depression rates. Those working full-time in the NHS, and I believe even the stats were those working more than three days a week, the correlation with depression was something like 50% or more, and who suffered some degree of depression because of their work and their challenges. And scarily enough, the mortality rates of GPs, believe it or not, with the extended age retirement range for a GP, were something like the average was two years post-retirement. The Jeremy Hunt and the junior doctor debate that went on for years was all about working hours and conditions, etc., and the fights of the rights. I'm not sure I'd have to ask the doctors out there whether they feel that they won that battle or not. It's not necessarily environment doctors get to say about how their job is designed, from what I gather. They don't get to talk about the design of their environment. It isn't Google where they get to work 20% of the working days on things that will interest them and that in essence, will benefit the company. Google, that is. The work environment is complicated. It is challenging. Only last week I was talking to Americans who said they'd visited NHS in the year and they couldn't believe the bare-bones sparsity and the nice lack of niceties in healthcare environments. And that is effectively what doctors work in day in, day out in an acute care setting for their entire working lives. It's a difficult place to be. Sure, they get supported by the old Krispy Kreme, if you believe this, who deliver donuts to get them through their shifts under the pressures of COVID. But if you believe the work of Asim Malhotra, the cardiologist, and his work through research in terms of metabolic disease and sugar and obesity and influencing poor outcomes at the 10 times higher risk of death than COVID. But he would say this is scandalous. You know, Who might disagree in this somewhat perverse support system? We've seen so many cases where we're not being protected. So what does this show? Me? But doctors have been tied into the situation in many ways, in my opinion. And the basis of this podcast is, and the crux of this podcast today is, in some ways, being represented by them being their own worst enemy. 
You see, the system is about heroism, and we in the community treat them like heroes, perhaps like superheroes. In ways, we know that superheroes can get over the toughest challenges and just bounce back. They don't show any blemishes. Remember, these are just kids who were good at chemistry before they started out on this journey. Kids that get so exposed and put to task. And in many ways, they get quite suboptimal environments and perhaps exposed to PTSD. And who knows what will happen at the end of COVID-19. And in post-COVID environments, in my opinion, we'll perhaps see a lot of clinicians who have suffered PTSD. And whether they will be exposed or supported is another question. But it is, in essence, just a magnification of a process that already existed. Will we see a mass exit from medicine? Because it's too, too tough, too risky much too risky for the heroes who aren't, who are actually just flesh and blood. We're going to see an exit of Europeans due to Brexit scenario from the NHS anyway, uh, and we're going to face an NHS in many ways that is exposed to new factors. And how will, will we be protected? What will happen if we have a second wave? What happens then? What about the next pandemic? We use these evenings on Thursdays, we did for clapping. Perhaps in some ways it reinforces some of the requirements for heroes and this hero structure that we're seeing here. As I said right at the start, that I've spent a career working in clinical settings and now working over decades as a human factors in healthcare. I know many human factors people who work in high-risk environments, like, like the nuclear industry, like the oil industry, the defence industry. And it is their role to design out such risks, to not accept that you have a hero syndrome. Nobody wants to be the nuclear power plant hero, right? Not in the same way as they want to be the doctor or the surgeon on ER. In airline flights, designing at risk, which reflects the amount of time you're allowed to work. Or as an airline air traffic controller, designing at risks, watching people land on the ground is only allowable for a very short period because the concentration spans they need to make planes not hit each other. But these things may not have made their way into the heroic realm, like the medical profession. When you're landing in flying planes or managing a power plant, the costs of obviously these environments are seen as far too high. The hero myth for me then is if we base ourselves on this, then disasters left, right and centre around the corners, disasters perhaps in the healthcare field that we are through things like COVID exposed to. You know, for doctors, perhaps in the NHS, because they're just flesh and bones, because they're tied up in this heroism, when we, I think maybe we should be saying, what can we do moving forward to make this a more resilient system? Not asking them because they know the culture has told them that they have to be heroes. They won't be able to design their ways out of this. I don't think it's about paying more, just paying more. It's not a salary thing necessarily, but it's about time. It's about understanding. It's about rest. It's about having them have lives outside of hospitals to be with family members. It's about having, having schedules, not giving everything to their career. It's about nutrition. It's about stopping them running on Krispy Kreme donuts and coffees. It's about mental health support. And it's about job design to enable them to be high performance individuals at the right amount of time. You can't do that on 12 or 16 hour shifts and perform. Maybe just then, if we do take this seriously, then maybe we'd be better equipped to redesign things. Maybe we won't need to treat doctors like heroes or treat them like people. People who are good at working to help keep us well when we are unwell. Thank you for listening. Why doctors are not superheroes. The podcast that I would like to open up to my friends and colleagues and people I've worked with over the years and everyone in the medical profession who aren't doctors. Perhaps you're a consultant, you've been through the process, you're a junior doctor, you're just starting in the process, or you're 10 years in. This has been going on for a long time. COVID has given the opportunity to see in many ways a different kind of future and hopefully to start designing a better, more resilient health service. Until next time on the podcast, I thank you for listening. 
as I always say, if you'd like to come on and talk about the side effects as a guest, we'd be delighted to talk to you. Email me at hello at wheel10.co.uk. Thank you again for listening. And thank you out there for being non-heroic doctors. You've been listening to The 10 Podcast. Subscribe on your preferred podcast provider. Also, do let us know what you think of today's episode.